Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corinne Pettit, and I'm here today with rheumatologist Dr. Asim Khan, who is here today to address the exciting topic of current and upcoming trends in the management of psoriatic arthritis. Dr. Khan, who is in clinical practice with Voyage Healthcare based in Maple Grove, Minnesota, has a special interest in musculoskeletal diseases such as psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, fibromyalgia, Sogren's rheumatoid arthritis, and osteoarthritis. Dr. Khan has been voted as one of Minnesota's top doctors given his compassionate care and empathy for his patients. Well, welcome, Dr. Khan. Thank you for joining Soundbites today. I'm really excited to hear what's new or upcoming in psoriatic arthritis. So let's start with what I think can lead to a more effective and efficient way for finding the best treatment options for people with psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis, and that's personalized medicine. So in episode 127, which is titled Psoriasis and Psoriatic Arthritis, Similar Yet Different, dermatologist Dr. Aaron Bowe explained what personalized medicine was for our listeners. Can you please provide an update on the development of personalized medicine for psoriatic arthritis? And when can listeners expect personalized medicine to be a reality? What? Thank you for asking me to do a podcast for you, and it's a pleasure to do it for National Psoriasis Foundation. So personalized medicine, I'd like to go in a little bit more detail. What it means is it is a move away from one size fits all, meaning we have to tailor the treatment options to take care of a particular condition, keeping in view patients' disease and target the therapies to achieve the best outcome. It is compatible with old terms used in the past like precision medicine. It can be based on genetic makeup for a particular person. So if we know that we can, to a certain degree of certainty, predict the susceptibility to the disease and work towards prevention and outcomes. For example, so using biomarkers and pharmacogenomics, that is studying genetic variations. Pitfall is ethical usage of the data to insurance companies who may not want to insure these people with certain diseases which are pre-existing genetically and who are susceptible to them. So for example, the psoriatic arthritis, some patients are refractive to one therapy but respond to the other. We have to look at the immunophenotypes of the peripheral T cells to select the therapy. There are certain biomarkers associated with the PSA like LL37 and anti-LL37 proposed recently. They also share pathogenetic pathways and cytokines such as IL-12 and IL-23. So in 2013, Talamonte et al. reported that HLACW0602 LLs, not the LCE3C and LCE3B, deletion is associated with clinical response to ostekinumab. They looked at recruitment domain family members, 14 genes like CART14, which activates the nuclear factor NFK-beta to clinical response to TNF-alphas, and blocking agents like infliximab and adilimab. 
So there are certain strands which are common to COD-14 in polymorphism was associated with positive response to anti-TNF therapies. And this polymorphism in COD-14 is associated with psoriasis. So the studies are being done, they're being looked at, but they're not readily available to a common person. And this is going to be an expensive way of looking at it, but somewhere down the road, once they're readily available, we'll be able to tailor our treatment options according to their genetic makeup. So until that day arrives, for now, how do the domains of psoriatic arthritis or where the joints are affected impact treatment choice? So we have to look at the whole picture. So maybe it's just one joint and not the other joints involved and one is involved more than the other one. But how we really divide these six different domains of PSA are like peripheral arthritis, the enthesitis where there's tendon insertion and inflammation at that site, dactylitis, what we call as the sausaging of the fingers or the toes, spondylitis that is involving the low back pain, skin psoriasis and nail psoriasis. Patients can present with combinations of these domains and severity of the disease domains. But additionally, these patients are also associated with other comorbid conditions, such as obesity, the metabolic syndromes, the non-fatty liver disease, the cardiovascular diseases. They all can complicate the management of psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. So we have to keep these in mind. Now, this can complicate management in a way when arthritis is involved, that oligoarticular disease is less damaging than the polyarticular disease, meaning more than or less than five joints. For example, there are five different phenotypes of psoriatic arthritis, like symmetrical polyarthritis, asymmetrical oligoarthritis, and monoarthritis, arthritis mutilants, predominant distal interphalangeal joint involvement, and then spondyloarthropathies. So we've looked at these different joint manifestations and they figured it out that a tight control of the disease may prevent further progression to polyarthritis from oligoarthritis at times. So they did a study what we call as the psoriatic arthritis TICOPA study, that is study to tight controlling of inflammation in early PSA will lead towards minimal disease activity. So having just addressed the domains of psoriatic arthritis, what are some of the key factors and tools used now to diagnose psoriatic arthritis? And how significant would a diagnostic test for psoriatic arthritis be? Well, to date, we do not have a specific test for psoriatic arthritis. It is the patient's history and the clinical examination, which is very important to establish the diagnosis. We do have certain tests that we like to do which are markers of inflammation, like CRP, like SED rate, and a negative rheumatoid factor. That makes us think that if those markers of inflammation are elevated in the presence of a negative rheumatoid factor and with the clinical history, we can diagnose these patients with a fair certainty. But we are still looking forward to come out with a specific diagnostic test for psoriatic arthritis. Now, most important thing is to educate the primary care physicians and the healthcare providers who are taking care of these patients. So there were what we call as the psoriasis epidemiology screening tool that came out, where you had to ask these particular questions 
that have you had swollen joints? Has anyone told you that you have arthritis or are you complaining of joint pains? Do you have fingernails or toenails that have pitting holes in them, which should be more than five? Have you had pain in your heels like plantar fasciitis? A lot of people don't complain of that to the rheumatologist or their primary care physicians because they think that this should be addressed by a podiatrist. Have you had a finger or a toe that was completely swollen and painful for no reason? Because there are a lot of differential diagnoses for that. These are the things that we have to keep in mind when we are diagnosing patients with psoriatic arthritis. So we are hoping that in future, we may have a particular test, but currently we have to rely on history, physical exam, markers of inflammation that are given to us. So treatments for psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis have become more targeted over the past two decades. What's driving this change? We have not seen the holy grail as yet. We have gospels out over there, which are everybody is singing to their own tune coming out with different medications. So we keep on trying that we are going to find a drug that is going to take care of psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. We have these drugs which have very promising results, but science keeps on evolving. Yes, that's absolutely true. And it's exciting to know treatments continue to evolve. The most recent FDA-approved treatment for psoriatic arthritis is giselkumab. Can you please talk about the method of action and how effective is giselkumab for psoriatic arthritis? So it is a monoclonal antibody that blocks certain proteins in the body. It binds to P1 subunit of IL-23, preventing the interaction of cytokines with its receptors on the surface of the cell, blocking the initiation of IL-23 pathways and subsequent release of pro-inflammatory cytokines. Drug has shown reduction of the messenger RNA expression of IL-17 and IL-22 as well, as increased levels of interferon gamma produced by these T helper cells, which are known as the TH1 cells, thus inhibiting the IL-17-THA pathways. Among these IL-12-THA1 pathways are responsible for the disease activity. So this has been approved for black psoriasis, and they are looking for approvals of other diseases as well, like erythrodermic psoriasis, Crohn's disease, pustular psoriasis. So in a way, these are much more selective because TNF inhibitors are not as selective as compared to these drugs. And as a result of this, the advantage of this medication has been that it will not exacerbate an underlying condition like ulcerative colitis or even candidiasis that we tend to see with the IL-17 blockers. And there were a couple of trials that were done which was the DISCOVER-1 and DISCOVER-2 trials, which showed ACR20 at 24 weeks with 52% and 64% of these patients when they were compared in the study to the placebo arm. Then there was a COSMOS phase 3B study, which was a post-marketing survey in patients who had inadequate response to the TNF inhibitors. It showed more joint improvement and better ACR20 responses. So again, we will wait to see when the post-marketing data that's available to us.
So in addition to gesalkimab, are there other IL-23 or IL-17 inhibitors for use with, for psoriatic arthritis? There are other drugs which are being now used, like riskenizumab, tetrakizumab, and brodilumab. So these drugs have to find their place in the treatment armamentariums. We have so many drugs to choose from now. They are working on other medications as well, which are in the pipeline. But these are the three newer ones. I've also heard of a new tyrosine kinase 2 or TK2 inhibitor, ducravacitinib, which is in clinical trials for psoriatic arthritis. Can you please explain the method of action and clinical trial results to date for this TK2 inhibitor? So what is a TIK2? Remember, we are all trying to aim at these different cytokines that are present. And our aim is to truly prevent the inflammation by binding to different cytokines. So this is another way of binding to these cytokines and blocking the inflammation. So TIK2, it is an intracellular enzyme that mediates immune signaling and inflammatory signaling pathways, important in both innate and adaptive immunity. So those, there are particular cells in both the innate and the adaptive immune cells. TIK activates a series of STAT, which is known as the signal transducers, and activation of the transcription. So then this activated STAT proteins expression of cytokines and cellular processes, so such as differentiation and division of the cell death by binding to specific receptors. So TIC2 regulates this immune system. And these cytokines include IL-12, 23, type 1, that is the interferon alphas, which derive again the functions of the Th1 cells and the Th17 cells and the innate immune responses. There have been two trials that have been done, which is known as the POITIC PSO1 trial and POITIC PSO2 trials. And there was a significant improvement in both the PASI scores and the ACR criteria in this patient population that was studied. Thank you, Dr. Kahn, for explaining the action of TK2. How about upadacitinib, which is a JAK inhibitor? Has that been approved for psoriatic arthritis yet? And how effective is this JAK inhibitor for PSA? The JAK2 inhibitors have been approved for psoriatic arthritis. They've had their phase three clinical trials. They've had select PSA1 trial and select PSA2 trial. And in both the trials, they met the ACR20 responses at, at week 12 versus the placebo arm. So again, that is another one way of looking at treatment options for our patient population. So we have the data for that as well. Going back to the domains of psoriatic arthritis, which we discussed earlier, what medications currently in clinical trials specifically address dactylitis, which is inflammation and swelling of an entire finger or toe? Yes, all of these drugs have now data for dactylitis. Ovetinab has got data. We have data with April mask. We have data with the TNF inhibitors. So they are looking at it, and the data is very promising. There's also a new novel treatment, nehalizumab, in phase two clinical trials for psoriatic arthritis. Can you please provide more details about the treatment, such as how it works and what the results have been to date? Well, it is a new drug that they've been looking at. It is a checkpoint agnostic antibody that binds to human CD162, inducing the apoptosis in late stage of activated T cells. So this is another novel treatment. 
it basically increases the natural cell death by causing that T cell apoptosis. It is very selective. It doesn't hit the B cells, doesn't hit the macrophages. So now we know with this new drug that time will tell us by selectively blocking that T cells and not hitting the B cells and the macrophages, how effective it is going to be. And that is yet to be seen. But the initial studies that have been done shows that there have been three weekly dosages, which were IV, then four biweekly dosages, and 40% achieved ACR20 responses in the studies that were initially presented, and 70% was only 10%. So time is going to tell us how effective this drug is going to be. Really interesting. So going back to a more established treatment, in your opinion, is methotrexate still considered an effective treatment for psoriatic arthritis? Methotrexate has been there forever, and it has always been a cornerstone of any drug trial that we have done, any drug associated with a drug plus methotrexate or placebo arm plus methotrexate. Methotrexate really doesn't do much on the skin, but it still is effective in in arthritic component of it. In my opinion, when we have so many newer drug options, why would we want to use a drug which is hepatotoxin? And a lot of people, especially with psoriasis, and I've seen in my clinical experience, are fond of having a glass of wine or two, and they don't want to leave it. And they want to stick with their daily habits of drinking wine with their dinner or having a drink. So it is an option. Now we give it to the patients, thereby telling them that we can certainly use other drugs and omit the methotrexate. And if you really look at the data that was presented, 33% of the patients do not fill in their prescriptions for methotrexate due to the potential side effects. And especially women do not want to take methotrexate because of hair loss and other associated side effects. And plus, you have to, you know, especially in age group where they can get pregnant, you have to be very careful and you have to stop the drug three months before you plan pregnancy. So we don't want that oops happening. So I try to personally shy away from uh, methotrexate if I can. When outcome measurement for psoriatic arthritis is ACR20, meaning a 20% improvement in the psoriatic arthritis severity score, what ACR score is realistic to expect with the newer treatments? I think the newer treatments that are out there, I would expect nothing less than ACR70. I think that term ACR20 should be obsolete now. This ACR20 is truly a domain that they use for clinical trials and presenting it to the FDA. But in reality, would I want my patients to be only 20% better? No. If I'm using these big guns, I expect my patients to be better than ACR70 even. Yeah, definitely. So many people with psoriatic arthritis indicate fatigue can be overwhelming, often limiting day-to-day activities. Are there any research updates addressing fatigue and psoriatic arthritis? We have a lot of studies that have been done with different drugs where we call as the factor. So they've all looked at the data and it is a very compelling data where the fatigue has improved with these biologic agents. And the reason for that is that fatigue is indirectly associated with your underlying inflammatory process as well. So we control the disease better the fatigue outcome improves significantly. That makes perfect sense. 
We've had such an interesting conversation today about trends in psoriatic arthritis. And lastly, do you have any final comments you would like to share with our listeners about the future for those with psoriatic arthritis? I always tell my patients that when they come to see me, that I certainly cannot go back and undo what has happened with your disease and change your beginning because it has already taken place. But we can start where we are and change the ending and see for a better outcome or at least prevent any further progression. So the most important thing is timely intervention that should be done. Early referrals to the appropriate physicians should be made and patients should not be shy of discussing their symptoms and letting their physicians know that they have a rash. Sometimes people do not want to talk about a rash in their private parts, or they may spot first rash, like in the genitals or around the navel areas or in the butt cheek. So keep an eye on that. Any rash that should not be there, please seek an opinion because that would help us tailor your treatment options for future. Taking timely intervention and prevention steps are so important. Thank you again, Dr. Kam, for providing such an interesting look at developments in psoriatic arthritis. We definitely live in really exciting times. Thank you very much. As a reminder, you can continue to learn more about psoriatic arthritis by contacting the Foundation's Patient Navigation Center by calling 1-800-723-9166, option 1, or by emailing education at psoriasis.org. And finally, thank you to the following sponsors who provided support on behalf of this episode through unrestricted educational grants. Abby, Amgen, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Janssen, and Novartis. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Ghana, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.